0: We turn together in the word of God today to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. There's an outline on page 4, not intended to kind of focus you too much on the outline, but just to give you a picture of where we are going this morning. We continue then in the series in the book of Matthew that we have been in. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, and we hear now God's word. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. Loved ones, this is our Father's world. We just sang that. We see that in our text today. The world that God has made is good. He spoke and he separated light from darkness. He upholds the world by his sovereign hand and in his good providence. We as Christians love the world that God made in terms of this place that he has put us in. And yet the world is fallen. It is broken. The wrong that we see around us and have since the fall of man grieves us greatly as we see in the passage before us the question is how do we as christians interact with the world that we live in with the surrounding culture the society the state at this time that god has placed us in history we're in the sermon on the mount jesus has been teaching us throughout about the nature of the kingdom of god that's the focus repent for the kingdom of god is at hand we've learned in the beatitudes what the citizens of the kingdom of god look like they look like jesus and we've seen that this suffering jesus is a crucified jesus he is a risen jesus he is now a reigning jesus and everything that happens happens under his reign and power. What is going on in the world around us? Where is God? What's happening? We need to be grounded in the certainty of God's providence and care for his creation and for his people in particular. Let's look today at the need for salt and light. And what we, need, what we mean by that is this. There's a picture that Jesus is giving us here of both salt and light Kids, when you look at salt and light, what do you think? You think of salt that preserves food, right? Helps it not go bad and helps it have some more taste. When you think of light, what does light do? It illumines things so you can see better. Well, that's what Jesus is telling us here that there's a need for. Why is there a need for salt and light? Because the world's fallen. Because people love the darkness, First John, rather than the light. And the fallen world of darkness means, in some sense, total depravity. So every part of us, by nature, is tainted with sin. We are born dead in sin. Our minds, our wills, our affections, our heart, our emotions, our actions, everything. And that's universal. That's important to remember, as we are called to be salt and light in a fallen world. This world, then manifests itself in the darkness in particular ways i want to just think briefly of two of them first philosophically the 1700s there's a reaction against the biblical view of sin against the idea that we're born dead in sin and ironically it's called the enlightenment have you ever heard of that or thought of that that's an ironic title because the enlightenment is founded on human reason 1700s emmanuel Kant. There's a m- number of other thinkers who kind of took up this way of thinking in response to the Reformation. So we don't need revelation. We don't need God's word. We can reason ourselves, and we can be moral people following Jesus as a moral teacher, but not the Son of God. The Enlightenment, along with all of its cousins and offshoots, is the world that we live in right now that's what people often think because that's the natural impulse of the fallen heart relativism there are many ways up the mountain that's what this kind of thinking says contrary to god's word so if you follow buddha you can be enlightened and think and kind of be freed from all the things that chain you down that's just one example What's the example in terms of the state? So philosophically, darkness, the enlightenment. What about the state, meaning the government we live in? Robert Godfrey gave a great lecture recently through Ligonier Ministries on the question of the state. I commend it to you. Here's what he said in terms of a very brief overview. He said that the state, Romans 13, is a divine institution. God instituted the state after the fall to restrain evil in a fallen world. And what else? To promote the good. The state, secondly, he says, is a human institution. We as humans have responsibilities to influence the state in proper ways. That's what Jesus is getting at a bit here in Matthew 5. As a human institution, the state is fallen and can become more corrupt over time. Romans 1. This is what happens at the end of Romans 1 when a society suppresses the truth. When they call good evil and evil good. The society deteriorates until it becomes utterly corrupt. Remember, total depravity is not utter depravity. So the Every person is born dead in sin, but not every person who's lazy acts out on their laziness every second of their life. That's God restraining the worst of sin, right? Not utter depravity. But as a society more and more turns away from the Lord, as people in the culture harden their hearts, God gives them up to their distorted notions and perverted passions. That's what Romans 1 is saying. God says, if this is what you want, this is what you get. Until a society stinks in the nostrils of God. Which leads to Godfrey's third point. The state can become a demonic institution. What does that mean? When the state claims for itself all power, all meaning, and all direction of life. Ancient Egypt, Pharaoh, all honor and worship is given to Pharaoh. The Roman Empire, worship this man. That is statism, Godfrey says. And the demonizing of the state happens when the living God is neglected. Revelation 17, the prostitute sits on the back of the beast who is Satan. The state there is serving Satan. She's drunk with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. She's claiming the worship of her citizens. What is going on in the world right now? God has a purpose. God is in control. And this dark world and our sinful hearts desperately needs the light of Christ. When Jesus is speaking here in the Sermon on the Mount in verse 13 of Matthew 5, he has just said, blessed are you when you are what? Persecuted for righteousness sake. He just said that. You will attract, as a Christian, the same enemies that Christ attracted. The Old Testament covenant community, many, many of them hated the prophets, put them to death. Many of the Pharisees turned against Jesus. So these enemies can come from within the covenant community. And they also can be from without Don't be discouraged when this happens, Jesus says. So you say, well, then how do I relate to this world? What do I do? How do I live? Isn't that an interesting question to think about? In Jesus' day, there were zealots. We need to conquer and rule the world. That was their view. There were the Essenes. They were by the Dead Sea. We separate. We withdraw from the world. The world is evil, so we have nothing to do with it. There's a man named Simon the Stylite who literally sat on a pole 50 feet above the ground to avoid contact with the world. Hmm. This is seen, as Niebuhr says, in the Christ against culture view, meaning the Christian is set apart in a holy huddle and separated from the world. So don't have anything to do with the world out there. Is that what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5? No. The other perspective and the other extreme, Christ of culture. So we want to blend in with the culture, this view says. We want to be oriented to the good of the world, but then there's a syncretism so that the Christian is no different than the world. See those extremes? One, have nothing to do with it. The other, you become it. Know are salt, your light. Another perspective. Well, we're going to be different from the world, but it's never positive. So the Christian is just always hammering away, always nailing stuff. We'll, we'll see. There's a sense that we are to expose sin. But if it's always negative, always judgmental, and it can come across then as self-righteous, is that being salt and light? There are extremes to avoid, loved ones. We don't beat people over the head with the gospel. We're not to be obnoxious, and we're not to give our opinion on everything to everyone. On the other hand, we aren't to be lazy or compromise or fear. Not worldliness, which is calling sin good and calling good evil. That's worldliness. When sin appears to be normal and natural. Not worldliness. Not secularization not aloofness not isolationism see those extremes we all tend and as you're sitting here to one side or the other what then do we do secondly let's look at who we are before we see how we're called to live we need to remember who we are christian matthew 5 a city set on a hill cannot what be hidden So in the Old Testament and the New, the culture was where there were often houses built of limestone and towns in these days that would gleam in the sun. So literally, it would shine, and it could not easily be hidden. Israel, as an Old Testament people of God, was called to be this city on a hill. They failed. The 12 disciples, how did they do? Peter was impulsive. James and John were sons of thunder, prone to angry outbursts. Judas was a betrayer. Were they the city on the hill? No. How about America? Some have used this text to say America is the city on the hill. Doesn't say that, does it? Where do we go? John 7. Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. This is a feast in which the population of Jerusalem might quadruple. People are coming in as pilgrims to the city. At night, there would be four huge lampstands illuminating the temple courts. They would be as tall as the highest walls of the temple. Bowls would be on top that were 17 gallons, filling with, with, with oil. This is enormous. And as they would light them up, not only would the temple be lit, but all of Jerusalem, you would see this light from the temple. At the end of this feast, the lights would go out. And it's at that point in John 8, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The impact was enormous. He used this time in the history of his people, at this feast, to say this. The feast was about remembering the cloud and the fire that guided God's people in the wilderness as they were slaves coming from Egypt and now no longer being slaves but going to the promised land. That's what the feast was about. And Jesus is saying, I am that pillar of fire. I am that cloud. He's claiming to be God God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Jesus fulfills God's law perfectly as the light of the world. Jesus perfectly reveals and lives and gives to us what God's law was always directed toward. Loved ones, as we think of our calling in the world, we've got to remember the Christian is in Christ. The sinless one, Jesus, was made sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. He experienced the dark outer torment of wrath and judgment which the darkness of this world is just a picture of. That eternal outer darkness of hell. Christ experienced that on the cross for every one of his elect people. He did it to bring you to God. He is the light the dark world needs. He's the source of our illumination spiritually. And the ignorance we have, he is our wisdom. The impurity we have, he is our holiness. The despair we have, he is our joy. By his sovereign grace, he draws sinners to himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He saves people from every political situation in every country at every time throughout history he saves people living in america today he saves people living in russia today he saves people living in south america today and africa today and across the world today god who said let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of christ Loved ones, you have entered the kingdom of God by believing the gospel. In Christ, you're redeemed, you're justified, yet still sinful. Loved by God, indwelt by the Spirit, born again, adopted, a friend of God. And you are seated in the heavenly places right now in Christ. You are citizens of heaven. God has put all things in subjection to Jesus. You are part of an unseen kingdom, and yet you don't see all things yet in subjection to Jesus, do you? You live day by day. How? As salt and light. This is an indicative, meaning, because you're united to Christ, that light of Christ will shine forth in you to the world around you. He is shining through you. Like the moon reflecting the sun. The light of the moon comes from the sun. The light of the Christian comes from Jesus. What was he just talking about, Jesus, in Matthew 5 before this? The Beatitudes. What does it mean to be salt and light? To be who you are in Jesus. Poor in spirit. Mourning. Meek. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Merciful pure in heart, peacemakers, persecuted for righteousness' sake. You are salt and light in the various callings you receive from God. 1 Corinthians, let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the doctrine of vocation, calling. It's related to to your calling in the state you live in at this time, in this community, in the workplace where you work, in the church in which you worship, in the home in which you live. Some have a calling from God to be at home with their children. Praise God. That's a calling. That's valuable. That's honorable to the Lord. Some are called to be a missionary cross-culturally. That is honoring to the Lord. One calling is not more holy than another. Some are called to be a janitor. Some are called to be a carpenter. Some are called in work to be in education and to be in government and to be in politics. And the callings are all throughout your life in different ways. Kids, you're called to be a student right now and to honor your mom and dad at home and to help around the house that things would be orderly. And like our son was helping to clean up toys from the yard last night, right? That's his calling. And my calling is to be a father, to love him, and to point him to Christ, and to serve the home in which I live, and to lead my family in the Lord, and to walk in holiness as Christ himself has called me to be holy. So I have a calling as a pastor, a calling as a husband, as a father, as a sibling, as a friend, as a church member, as a neighbor. You see, it spreads all throughout when it comes to the church Paul said uh, Jesus says Matthew 5:14 you are the light of the world what's that that's plural you and singular light very interesting it's not you are lights it's you together as a body of Christ and me among the body are a light the body of the Christ of Christ as a whole becomes the light. So it's not just individuals in your callings out in the world. That's true. But it's together, the seven lampstands are the seven churches, Revelation 1. With all the different gifts God has given you. Go in fellowship. Make disciples of all nations. Preach the gospel to all nations. That's what the church is called to do. Love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. And this is a a corporate thing, loved ones. Together, we are members of Christ's church, using our gifts to serve. And what the godless world needs is what we need. The gospel of Christ. That alone will change hearts. That alone will bring a sinner by the Spirit out of darkness into light. Third, what does this mean in terms of our lives? Do you know that in these days of Jesus' ministry, salt was not like the salt we have, kids? Meaning, you go to Costco or to Aldi and you get salt, and it was—it's almost given to you at Aldi, right? That it's huge. There's more salt in there than we'll ever probably use. It, it, it's not that expensive. Although there are expensive kind of salts, maybe you love kind of expensive salts. That, I mean, you probably know more about salt than I do. I'm sure you do. In those days, salt was very expensive. The Latin word for salt, where's our Latin expert? It's not me, is salarius? We get our word salary from that. Roman soldiers were paid in salt. Salt was dug out under horrible conditions, one man says, Having salt was the mark of being a wealthy person. Very different than today. In the Bible, salt was used in Israel's sacrifices for purification. It signified the covenantal bond between God and his people. The covenant of salt. Salt can be connected with judgment. Kids, Lot's wife was turned into what? A pillar of salt. Abimelech raised the city in Judges 9, and he sowed it with salt, a sign of destruction. In our world, people use phrases like, he or she is the salt of the earth. What does that mean? That person is honest and reliable. I, I just love Joe. He's the salt of the earth. They also use the phrase, Whoa, he or she is salty. Woo! Exceptionally bitter. Explosively angry and upset. See how we use, we use these phrases sometimes without thinking about it? What does salt do, kids? It can be fertilizer. It can be used to gargle when you have a sore throat. It's used to season your food, but not too much of it. Then it's bleh. It's used as a preservative. In the days of the Bible, and even up through history until recently, there weren't refrigerators. So you get meat, you don't stick it in the freezer downstairs or refrigerator, you salt it to preserve it. Salt is a metaphor. The earth is the people and the world we live in. Salt is rubbed into the meat. Christian, you are in the world. The salt doesn't become the meat. You are not of the world. The world is this present evil age. And the world will get irritated with you, Christian, when you are salt. For Jesus' sake, you'll be persecuted for righteousness. But without the salt, the food tastes bad and is useless. Salt prevents decay. It thwarts the spread of sin. Light illumines darkness, promoting the good. Our calling is to be salt and light in the way Jesus reveals. Remember all those things we said before about extremes? Here's what he reveals. You are to be holy in Christ, different from the world. You are to be visible in the world. You are to call sin, sin, and also clearly good and promoting what is beautiful in the world. That's your calling of salt and light. Here we need humility. We need wisdom. We need the illuminating work of the Spirit. To illumine our hearts. To not respond in kind to the world when the world reviles, not to revile in return. What does this look like negatively? The earth is fallen and filled with moral decay. Rottenness. Even as this is my father's world. God has set restraining influences in his world. The state, when the state functions as it should, often it doesn't. The family. The family is God, has defined marriage between one believing uh, one man and one wife, and in, in Christian marriage, one believing man and one believing wife, and children growing up in the covenants of the Lord. That's a blessing of God. And you, Christian, your presence in the world keeps the world from total decay. You see all three of those things. As the state is called to punish evil, the second use of the law of God functions in society as a restraint on evil in the world. And when that is denied, Romans 1, and the giving over that God gives that sinner over to becomes more and more prevalent. In our own life, Christian, you being a presence in this city is a blessing for the city. Christians being present who are called in politics are a blessing there. Christians who are present in the school are a blessing there. Christians who are called in business and education and college. And By the blessing of the upright, Proverbs says, a city is exalted. By the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Righteousness exalts a nation. What's an example of this? Someone who's salt and light in their calling. William Wilberforce died in 1833. He was raised by some relatives and taught the things of Jesus, but did not believe as a Christian until later in life. In 1780, he was in Parliament in Britain. He started to read his Bible. As he read the Bible, God converted him. He got to know John Newton at this time, the writer of Amazing Grace, the former slave trader. And Wilberforce thought, maybe I'm called to go to be a pastor. Maybe that's God's calling for me. And Newton wisely said, Wilberforce, your calling is to serve as a Christian in Parliament in Britain. And God used this man over many years to abolish slavery. In the slave trade. His calling was there. He was salt and light there. Christian, your calling as light is to expose darkness. That's what Ephesians 5 says. Darkness and sin is defined by the law of God. So much evil is done in the darkness of night. You know that. I was talking to a man who was a police officer a while back. And he talked to me about calls that he receives in the city, in certain parts at night, and what is going on there. And some of you know that very well. The evil that is done. The wickedness that is being done. Night has no shame. To ignore evil is to just say it's okay and to promote it sin is to be brought into the light and this applies to our own our own hearts as well doesn't it god's law thunders and if any of us is living in secret and unrepentant sin it's the grace of god to expose it to bring it to the light that we will repent and come to jesus for cleansing and forgiveness through his blood and righteousness There's a danger. A danger when light is not used to expose darkness. That the light then is hidden under a basket. See what Jesus says? A warning that the salt can lose its saltiness. This is not saying you can be in Christ and lose your salvation. But it's a warning to the visible covenant community. Like the letters of Revelation. The church is the lampstand there. And the lampstand of God can be removed. So God's spirit is the lampstand in the church, the church is in Christ and that can be removed. It says to the letter to the Ephesians uh, to Ephesus revelation. Now salt cannot lose its saltiness strictly speaking, right? You who are really good with science know that better than I do. It's sodium chloride. It's stable. But in the ancient world, salt was not as pure They would get it from marshes, and it could literally lose its saltiness. The word for losing its saltiness means becoming tasteless, becoming foolish. If we Christians live just like the world with its values and lusts, and the hope of the world is our hope, what's the point of our lives? That's Jesus' statement. We are like salt that has no saltiness. That's worthless, Jesus says. And the tragedy is this. Often the world does more harm to us than we do it good. Worldliness, remember, when sin looks normal and righteousness looks strange? This is one of the most powerful and dangerous things about entertainment but what we take in through all different ways of taking it in. We get drawn to it, and we start to think that way. Many people right now, one pastor says, are being catechized by the news media. What, what that means is the news media is teaching people how to think. It's having a formative, catechetical influence on many. So the media is telling us how to think instead of God's word and instead of the theology of the church and instead of, see see the, the danger of that. Then the salt is not being salty. The salt is becoming worthless. We need to think about that in terms of how we take in social media, news, and the impact it's having. It can have an impact on our hearts. It can have an impact just in how we speak to our spouse, how we interact with our kids, how we talk to each other and live as a church. Faultless salt is trampled. It's no good. So where's the encouragement? The encouragement is the positive aspect of being light, is that you are to overcome evil with good. Light illumines the darkness. And as a Christian, we are to promote the spread of truth and beauty and goodness in all the callings that we have. From the person who's called at home with their children to the person like Wilberforce who's called to public office and everything in between you shine as lights in the world Philippians 2 kids you know the song this little light of mine I'm going to let it shine hide it under a bushel no if you have a nightlight kids you don't cover the nightlight with a blanket that would make the nightlight useless You let the nightlight shine. You are saved, loved ones, to be a witness to the world around you. A Christianity who has an effect that just stops at the door of the church is of little use to anyone. If this is who you are in Christ, your light will shine because Christ's light shines through you. People will Be better for having known you in your callings. This means in your weakness and sin as well. When we sin, when people see us at our worst, when we mess up, we repent and we point people to Jesus. Part of being the light is confessing our sin and repenting. We're not perfect lights. But God is growing this light in us by his spirit. How does this impact the way you speak, Christian? Colossians 4. Let your speech always be. How would you finish that? Let your speech always be seasoned with salt. Gracious. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Is our speech gracious? Do people walk away from our conversations in our home, neighborhood, school, work, church, friendships, and say, That person was gracious? Only by the light of Christ shining through us. Christian, you're different. When people are venting and complaining and gossiping and slandering, You are different. Overcome evil with good. You're in Christ. Don't follow that trail. When people are using crude jokes, we don't laugh at it. That's what being salt and light means. We talk with purity, not profanity. Salt and light in Christ. We speak truthfully rather than deceitfully. Salt and light in Christ. We look carefully how we live. We read that in the law today, Ephesians 5. Consider how we're living, Christian. What is influencing us? What sources of information are catechizing us? Living as salt and light means you pray for the city you live in. Oh, we pray for Minnetonka. We pray for Eden Prairie. We pray where we live in our communities. We pray for this city. We pray for this nation and this world. Remember, Abraham, he's praying for Sodom and Gomorrah. If there are ten righteous people there, God said, I won't destroy it. God uses prayers as a means for his will for this city too. We pray God will build his kingdom in this city by his Holy Spirit. We pray that we will be a blessing to the city around us. The city needs the gospel. We need the gospel. God's people need the gospel, and the unbelieving world needs the gospel. That's where we once were when we're threatened to rage against those we disagree with. But for the grace of God go I. That's where God, we pray, will convert that man and that woman who's enslaved to that sin and bring them to Christ. Let your light shine. That's how this concludes. That others may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father who's in heaven. What's a good work? It's done from true faith. According to God's law and not our opinions. So often, it's our opinion and not the law of God that governs how we talk. A good work is done from true faith, our opinion. Not our opinion, but the glory of God, and the word of God, and the law of God. Not those things that rest on the commandments of men. Good deeds are practical, visible acts of kindness and neighborly love. Your own neighborhood. How can I be a blessing to my neighbors? I can pray for them by name, and I can ask them if I forget their name, their name. I can have them over for a barbecue. I can listen to them. I can love them. I can, at some point, by the grace of God, point them to Jesus, our righteousness. How can I show hospitality to a stranger? That's what that word means. And open my home to be a blessing to my neighborhood. That these deeds would be done, not by my power, but that People will recognize when we do good works, it's the grace of God that makes us what we are. It's not our light, it's Christ's light shining through us, like the moon reflecting the sun. That's what's happening here. And that our works that are honoring to God are done by his spirit, in us, through us, to his praise and glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. father we thank you oh we thank you for christ who came as the king as the light of the world who came to inaugurate his kingdom we thank you that through your spirit oh god you're expanding and increasing your kingdom and we thank you lord jesus that one day you will return to judge the living and the dead that one day babylon the great will be fallen as revelation says fallen is babylon that the Lamb will conquer, and that today, Lord Jesus, you are reigning and ruling. And by your Spirit, we pray that we would be a blessing to the city we live in, that we would be salt and light, that they would, our neighbors in this city would see the light of Christ through us and glorify you, our Father who's in heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.